It's a Monday in February of 2020, which means it's a couple of weeks before the coronavirus outbreak is going to bring the nation to a halt. But right now, we are deep inside the state of Mississippi, near the town of Carthage. And we've come here to meet a group of Guatemalan immigrants who have just finished up an English class. By the time we got there, class had just been dismissed. But people were mingling outside, surrounded by plain, single-story buildings. We approached two women, and I can hear that they're speaking mum. It's a centuries-old Mayan language, and so it's pretty surreal to be hearing it right here, in the heart of Mississippi. (laughs) Wow, do you understand it all? One of the women, Federica, has her daughter with her. Federica is not her real name, by the way. She has a case pending with immigration. Her daughter has a long black ponytail. And she's curious, but also a little shy. And I'm immediately impressed by her talent. She's trilingual. You, wait a second, you're, you're like a queen here. So how old are you? 12. You're 12? Yeah. So you speak? And just speak um, little English. You speak English? Yeah. You speak? Spanish and mom. And mom. Federica and her daughter came to Mississippi from Guatemala. They're undocumented. And they're not the only ones. Over the past 20 years, the undocumented immigrant population in the state of Mississippi has doubled. So what do you think about Mississippi? You like Mm -hmm. it here? Yes. You do? Hmm. Why? Um, because I like to go to school. Your mom, does she work in the chicken plant? No. No. She doesn't have work. Um, she has something in her feet. Oh, no. Yeah. Can you show me? Yes. Enseña? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So, um, she's wearing an ankle shackle? This is the kind of ankle shackle that immigration authorities use to keep track of immigrants once they're released from detention and while they wait for their court date. It is a plastic ankle shackle and it is resting on her foot right now and it's leaving a permanent bruise and an indentation. It's black. In Federica's case, her troubles started when she went to one of the area's chicken processing plants looking for a job just as thousands of undocumented workers have done in the last decade. There are a number of major plants around here in small towns such as Morton, Forest, Carthage, and Canton, which are not too far from the capital of Mississippi, Jackson. Hold on a second. Are you telling me that you... So your mom went to look for work at the chicken plant and she just happened to be there on the day when the raid happened? Is that what happened? August 7th, 2019. The day of the largest single state immigration raid in U.S. history. ICE agents on foot and on helicopters descended onto several poultry plants in small towns throughout the region. They arrested 
hundreds of undocumented workers. Federica happened to be there on that day looking for work, but she was arrested too. Sí, así fue. Uh, ese día uh, fui arrestado ahí. Pero usted, you didn't even work there. Usted no, ni, ni trabajaba allí. No. Federica was released by immigration authorities, like many others on the day of the raid, because she told them she's a single mother. Several months later, though, she got into a car accident. And that accident landed her in the hands of immigration authorities again. She believes the local police may have been targeting her because they knew that she had been released on the day of the raids. Immigration agents told her that in order to be released and be reunited with her daughter, she'd have to wear an ankle shackle. Federica's daughter fears that one day her mother could be deported. I think the immigrants um, she go back in Guatemala. And what about you? Mm. I'm here alone. You're going to stay here alone? Yeah. Is that what you want? No. You want to go back to Guatemala? No, I'm going to stay here with my mom. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, the legacy of the largest immigration raid in U.S. history and how a Latino community in Mississippi is still coping with its painful consequences. One of the many consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic is that everyone has become much more aware of the food supply chain. Now to our nation's food supply, many meat processing plant workers are now protesting orders to remain on the job. At least 22 facilities are currently closed because of COVID-19 outbreaks. And some workers are now saying they will not go back without better testing and safety measures. And meatpacking and processing plants are at the center of that chain. Some plants have seen COVID-19 outbreaks. Some have even had to shut down. Tonight, a food supply chain strained by COVID-19. It was a uh, bottleneck caused by this whole uh, pandemic. Now, relief, the president says, in the form of his executive order invoking the Defense Production Act, ordering all meat plants to stay open. Employees at meatpacking plants were declared essential workers. And as it has happened time and again during this pandemic, many of these essential workers are Latinos and Latinas. The disparity in cases of COVID-19 in America soaring among the Hispanic population, working some of the most underappreciated but vital jobs in this country. There are about 50 chicken processing plants in the state of Mississippi. They provide a much needed food supply to the country and beyond. But staffing these places is not easy. Over the decades, many locals have turned to other, less onerous jobs. And that's why the state is also a hub for immigrant workers, 
many of whom are undocumented. We begin today's show looking at the fallout from the massive raid in Mississippi. A year ago, hundreds of ICE agents arrived at seven of these chicken processing plants. They arrested about 680 workers, many of them fathers and mothers, whose kids were left behind for days, weeks, or even months. Some of those who were detained have been deported. Huge truck. Last February, six months after the immigration raids, Maria and I went down to Mississippi. That's the voice of Miguel Macias. We traveled together pre-pandemic down to Mississippi to answer one question. The massive immigration raids that had taken place in the area had gathered a lot of media attention at the time. We wanted to know what happens months after, when the news cycle has moved on, and the nation is not paying attention anymore. So we just pulled up in front of one of the chicken processing plants, and oh my God. So the first thing that we did was we drove outside of one of those big chicken processing plants in the area. And the plant is a big, nondescript, white and yellow, one-story building. There's nothing that would indicate that it's a poultry plant necessarily, other than... The smell, I, oh. The smell. What does it smell like? Raw chicken and blood. Like rotten chicken and blood, Lorena says. This is Lorena Quiroz Luis. She works with the large Latino population that staffs these plants. She's a community organizer, and she's going to introduce us to the workers we're going to meet while in Mississippi. Mm, yeah. What have the workers said to you about the smell? that it remains in their clothing for days. It's hard for them to get it off themselves and their skin and how it stays even in their nostrils when they're not working. One of the things you hear the most about working in these plants is that it's hard. It's physical work. Few breaks and even standing outside of the plant, the smell is difficult to take in. Still, Finding Latino workers doing tough jobs all over the U.S. is no surprise. But I did wonder, how did so many undocumented workers end up here, in Mississippi? Over the past decades, immigrants from Latin America have taken up many of the jobs in the meatpacking industry. Nationally, immigrants make up more than half of the workforce at meatpacking plants. Remember, Mississippi is home to dozens of chicken processing plants, And the number of plants in that state has doubled over the past 10 years. Ah, yeah. Muy bien, pues, you speak English or... No, this is for Latino USA on NPR. Let's go. Okay. There is one single man who could take some credit for the original arrival of Latina and Latino workers in this part of Mississippi. Uh, I am Luis Cartagena, American, Chilean-American citizen. And I have been living here in Morton, this economy, by 30 years. I first read about Luis Cartagena while researching for this reporting trip. We arrived at his house in a leafy area surrounded by tall trees, about 50 yards away from a local highway outside of Morton. This is Chilean TV. He welcomes us with a big smile. Inside his living room, the TV is blasting a Chilean television channel. 
Cartagena came to the U.S. following his brother, who was the first one in his family to arrive. So I arrived in November the 5th, 1990. When he arrived, Luis wasn't able to work as an agricultural technician, which was his background in Chile. So instead, he got a job at a poultry company, B.C. Rogers. Driving a yak. <laughs> That's one of those vehicles used to lift pallets in factories. You've seen them before. Until the plant was very short of people. Very short of people. They need more workers than the people from here in this area. They didn't want to work, really, because a, a poultry plant job is a hard job. Very hard. This is a recurring comment we hear many times. There are not enough locals willing to work in factories. In the chicken processing industry, the assembly line can be especially tough. Uh, you need to be doing the same thing every day for eight hours and cutting wings, cutting wings, cutting wings, or whatever. You need to do it, but you need to do it you are in the line. The line will not stop because you are tired. Are you responsible for getting the first Latin American poultry workers to the state of Mississippi? I am not responsible. I mean, I was hired and they say, we are going to create an Hispanic project. So your mission is to get us more workers. In 1993, Cartagena started flying to Texas and Miami to recruit workers for the poultry plants that B.C. Rogers had in Morton. The so-called Hispanic project officially started in 1994, and it basically boiled down to this. The factory needed workers, and the program would set up operations in Texas and Miami with the idea that they could find cheap labor in Latino communities. And we started recruiting legal workers in those years. And they put advertising, we need workers for poultry business in Morton, Mississippi. Nobody knows, knew that. I mean, where is Morton and why, how much are you paying? We needed more than 300 workers in those years. The only people interested to be working here were Hispanic. Within four years, the program had brought roughly 5,000 mainly Latino workers to Morton and other meatpacking towns. Cartagena told us that the Hispanic project also offered new workers some advantages, such as... Renting houses and rooms for the people that come from another places. We put even beds, bed sheets and everything for each one. But for a lot of people, these benefits that Cartagena mentioned just weren't enough. But some just quit after they said they were working a couple of weeks and they start quitting also, Some, a lot of them. Cartagena says that after the program got going, he no longer had to fly to unemployment offices to recruit Latino workers. The word was out. The Hispanic project officially ended in 1998. By then, people from Mexico, Nicaragua, and elsewhere in South America had started to arrive with work permits. With the Hispanic here, this area changed a lot. And Morton started growing. The population I work in the census, the 2000 census, increased a lot, the population, because the Hispanic. Back then, when Cartagena was working for the Hispanic project, Guatemalans were not part of the incoming labor force. And when the Guatemalans around 10 or more or less 10 years ago, they start coming a lot of Guatemalans. They don't care about papers. They don't have papers. Ah, oh, they work. They don't complain. Another thing, they don't complain. 
the American community all the time, they complain, ah, you're stubborn, I'm going to talk with the junior. The Hispanic never say any word, just work, work, work. The fact that undocumented workers made it to these chicken processing plants seems predictable. They need jobs, even if they're tough. And wherever there's a tough job in the U.S., you will likely find Latinas and Latinos. Cartagena sees this, but he also sees the contradiction in the way the state of Mississippi treats its immigrant workers. Because this is a state that is racist, very divided, they don't want Hispanic in this area. They smile to you, but they don't like to you. And now, with this immigration thing that happened six months ago, it was terrible because the plant was hurt, the city was hurt, the economy of all this area was hurt very deeply. Coming up on Latino USA, hundreds of ICE agents descend on central Mississippi. Stay with us. No te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. back. And we've been hearing from Mississippi residents who a year ago witnessed the largest single state immigration raid in U.S. history at seven chicken processing plants. My producer Miguel Macias picks up the story now. The morning after talking with Luis Cartagena, Maria and I drove to the town of Forest, about an hour away from Jackson, the state capital. After hearing the sort of origin story that Cartagena told us, how Latino immigrants made it to these towns, we wanted to know more about their journey and what they had to go through to get here. So that's why we went to visit Elena. And she asked us not to use her real name. Elena lives in a small house across the train tracks that go along the road. And right between the road and the train tracks, just yards away from Elena's house, is a factory. This is las personas que era una máquina donde hacen comida para los pollos de Taiso. People say that this place used to make food for some of the chickens that would end up in the processing plants. There's just no way to escape chicken here. Ah, uh, cuando dejó de funcionar, me puse contenta porque había un muy mal olor. Está muy cerca la casa. But the factory is not operating anymore. And Elena is pretty happy about that because that factory smelled 
pretty bad, she says. Elena is originally from Guatemala and has been living in Mississippi for over a decade. And I need to warn you now, Elena's story is painful to hear. Tell me a little bit about your life. You're born where? And kind of what's your childhood like? La verdad, la verdad. Yo nací en... Tengo una familia, pues, muy muy pobre. La verdad, yo creo que crecí sin zapato. Elena told us that she grew up very poor in a very small village in the area of Concepción Huista in Guatemala. She says that she was so poor that she didn't even have shoes when she was growing up. Mi papá es muy machista. She told us that she grew up in an abusive environment. Did your did your father hit you? Tu papá te pegó en algún momento? Muchas veces. A veces porque nosotros defendíamos a nuestra mamá y nos golpeaban también. Her dad used to beat her mother regularly, and Elena would try to protect her. Por eso siempre me iba de la casa y y a los 14 años es donde one day when Elena was just 14 years old, something horrible happened. Her mother had asked her to get a devotional candle, the kind that you use to pray to a saint or a virgin. And on the way back... A man assaulted and raped her. She could barely walk home on her own. She wanted to die, she says. And a month later, Elena found out she was pregnant. She asked her father for help to leave for the United States. She didn't want her child to grow up in the same environment where she had suffered. She wanted her child to have a better life. So Elena left Guatemala in early 2006. Her journey to the United States was difficult. It took her three attempts to cross the U.S.-Mexico border with the help of coyotes. Finally, she crossed when she was nine months pregnant. She arrived in North Carolina, where a tía lived, and that's where she gave birth to her first daughter in March of 2006. In the hospital where she gave birth, the nurses told her that they wouldn't release her baby to her because she didn't have a car seat for the baby. One child can't take care of another, the nurses told her. At some point, you make a decision to move to Mississippi. How do you end up here? Hay una tía mía que estaba acá también. Mira, me dijo, aquí hay mucho trabajo si quieres, vente. Elena told us that she had an aunt in Forest, Mississippi. Llegué a vivir con personas que no los conozco, no sé ni quién son ellos, yo no los conocía. Mi tía sí, pero mi tía la semana se me fue. So when Elena got to Mississippi, 
she started living with her aunt, who shared a place with another woman and her son. But then a week later, kind of suddenly, Elena's aunt up and left. The woman living with Elena told her that her aunt had left town with a man. No sé, le digo, mi tía no me dijo nada y por qué me trajo aquí con ustedes. No me dijo. Tú vas a ser la mujer de mi hijo. Yo a tu tía le pagué $1,500. The woman told Elena that she had paid her aunt $1,500 so she would marry her son. Yo me quedé allí y ella se iba al casino, se quedaba el muchacho. Y lo que yo hacía, me encerraba en mi cuarto y trataba la manera de que no llorara el niño. By now, Elena was desperate. She was afraid of being abused again. She was lost and, in her view, out of options. And so, she made a difficult decision. Y, y encontré el número del papá de la niña. Y, y yo le dije, yo tengo una niña. Tú sabes lo que tú me hiciste. Y él me dice, yo sé, perdóname. She got a hold of the father of her child, the man who had once raped her. And she ended up asking him for help. Y yo le dije él, no sé, haz algo por nosotros. Yo le dije al papá de los niños que viniera por nosotros, eh, por mí y la niña. Y sí vino. And this man did come. He had by now left Guatemala and was living in Miami. And Elena asked him to come to Mississippi to help her. El papá de la niña que te ayuda, él se queda aquí? Se queda. Es donde él me empezaba a golpear. But Elena found herself back in an abusive relationship for seven more years. She had two more children, and then when she turned 22... Como que a los 22 años me desperté la mente que no. Digo, si yo, lo que yo viví con mis papás y mis niñas están creciendo y lo va a hacer lo mismo, ya no. She finally left this man and escaped with her three kids. We sat with Elena for more than one hour, lost track of time as she told us the story of her life. Elena's is especially hard. It's complex and tragic. But in spite of all that she slipped through, she kept looking ahead. Elena worked in chicken processing plants for years, a single mother struggling to raise her three young children. And then on August 7th, 2019. Okay, you go to work on a normal day. The work which probably gives you some kind of semblance of normality. And what happens on that day? What time were you going into work? Elena told us that she woke up at 5.30 a.m., like she does on most mornings. And on that day, she says that she kind of had a premonition. She had been dreaming that she was being chased by ICE agents. Y los niños estaban bien dormidos en este cuarto. Y cuando yo estaba rezando, volteé a ver a los niños. Dije, son unos angelitos. 
¿Qué serían de ellos si no vuelvo a casa hoy? And before she left for work that day, she checked on her three kids. They were sleeping in the room, and Elena suddenly thought, what would happen to them if I didn't come back today? But she had committed to giving a co-worker a ride to the plant, so she drove into work, started filling up boxes with chicken parts. Ya cuando eran a las 7.45, entró la migración. Ellos uh, entraron allí con la pistola apuntando. They were pointing guns. Sí, estaban armados y de hecho este, llevaban también este, perros entrenados por si la gente este, se fuera a salir. This is Yesenia, which is actually not her real name. She asked us not to use it. On the day of the raids, Yesenia was working at a different poultry plant, one of the seven that were raided that day across the area. Yesenia is originally from Mexico, and she arrived in Mississippi in 2016. The baby that you hear in the background, that's her third child. On the day of the raids, Yesenia had arrived a bit early for her 8 a.m. shift, and she ran into the same scene that was unfolding at seven other plants being raided at the same time. Rodearon la planta completamente, entonces este, todos gritaban que había migración adentro. La policía rodeó toda la planta completamente, había helicópteros, todo. Cerraron las rejas. Por cualquier salida había migración. ICE agents surrounded the plant. There were helicopters flying overhead. There was no way out. La migración, dice ella. Oh, yo pensé que están corriendo alguien. Elena didn't realize it was ICE at first. She thought the police were just arresting someone. Nos sacaron todos y nos pusieron en un, un espacio así y... Que ellos se burlaban de nosotros, que hicieron un buen trabajo, que pues... Entonces entre ellos empezaron a chocar su mano así, hicimos un buen trabajo, que ya lo tenemos los documentados aquí. So ICE agents lined the workers up, and they congratulated themselves for a job well done, giving themselves high fives. Pues yo dije, pues ya, se terminó todo ya, llegó la migración, nos llevan. The same type of raid was happening in the plant where Yesenia was, As she was taken in by ICE, she thought to herself, that's it, it's all over. La verdad, a mí me agarró por sorpresa porque yo nunca había escuchado sobre la redada. O sea, sí escuchaba que había en otros lugares, pero que hubiera aquí en Mississippi alguna redada antes, no. Yesenia had worked at the plant for years, along with her husband. They had never heard of an immigration raid in this part of the country. And when it finally happened, it took them completely by surprise. And there's some context here that's important to understand. These plants had claimed that they had used E-Verify to check work eligibility. This is a government system that allows employers to confirm the eligibility of employees to work in the United States. However, later it was revealed that the system hadn't been used the way it was supposed to. The chicken processing plants had been hiring undocumented workers for years, and nothing had ever happened. So Yesenia and many others didn't feel there was a risk of being detained or deported. How pregnant were you? Yo tenía seis meses de embarazo. Seis meses de embarazo cuando entró la migración. At the time, Yesenia was six months pregnant. Ya después uh, nos pasaron al otro lado. 
Me amarraron mi mano, me amarraron mis pies. Ay, Dios mío, pero ¿qué hice? Algo mal. Solo estoy tratando de mantener a mis hijos. Elena was handcuffed as she wondered, What have I done wrong? I'm just trying to take care of my children. She was let go later that day, along with other single mothers who were taken in. It's unclear what the criteria was, but I says the agency released more than 300 people on humanitarian grounds soon after the raids. Yesenia was also let go by ICE agents because she was pregnant. But her husband... Did you see your husband when he was being detained? Mm, sí. What was that like? ¿Qué te pareció eso? Pues no sé, yo sentí pues que ya me iba a quedar sola porque... Bueno, me quedé sola en ese momento porque pues él estuvo detenido bastante tiempo. Yesenia feared that her husband wouldn't come back. Nació mi bebé, entonces ya es... Ya tengo ahora tres niños que cuidar. Entonces yo dije, pues, ¿qué voy a hacer yo? Mi esposo preso, entonces sí, hasta hace unos días que él no estaba todavía. Yo sentí, dije, si a él lo deportan, yo me voy a quedar aquí sola con mis hijos. Yesenia's husband was detained for six months and missed the birth of his child. Did you tell them that your wife was about to give birth? Uh, cuando les dije esa lies y me dijeron que ellos no pueden hacer nada hasta que, que vea un juez. When Yesenia's husband tried to tell ICE agents that he was going to miss the birth of his child, they told him there was nothing they could do. How many days ago were you released from detention? Apenas hace dos días. He was released just a couple of days before we visited them. How do you feel? Y me siento feliz, contento de volver a estar con mi familia porque en un momento pensé que ya no los iba a volver a ver. He's happy to be back with his family. He really thought he would never see them again. Coming up on Latino USA, we look at the long-term repercussions of the Mississippi poultry plant raids. Stay with us, no te vayas. The Americans with Disabilities Act was signed 30 years ago. So why, to this day, is the disability community still fighting for their rights? Listen now to learn what they're fighting for. On Throughline from NPR, every Thursday. We're back. And before the break, we were hearing from Elena and Yesenia, two immigrants who, on the day of the largest single-state immigration raid in U.S. history, were working at two of the seven chicken processing plants raided. Miguel Macias picks up the story with me now. The raids happened on a single day, but for those who were there, August 7th was just the beginning of a long process. Y me traumé como dos, tres semanas. Ya ni para asomarme en la ventana, me deprimí, no, dor no dormía. 
Elena told us that she was traumatized after the raid. She was depressed and couldn't sleep. She could not even look out of the window, she says. Sentía que ellos me perseguían, sentía que ellos estaban viniendo a traerme. No sé, me encerré. I felt they were chasing me, she says. She went on lockdown for weeks. Me encerré un, como dos, tres semanas, me volví loca, dije, no, ¿qué voy a hacer ahora? What am I going to do now, she asked herself. Pues en cualquier momento puede llegar a pasarnos, o sea, no incluso en el trabajo, sino que podemos salir a comprar algo y puede que en una tienda haya migración, nos lleva. Yesenia has very similar feelings. She now lives with the fear that she could be taken away at any moment by immigration authorities. O sea, estamos, o sea, totalmente, o sea, con temor, con temor que vuelva a suceder lo mismo. That deep feeling of insecurity that made them flee their countries to begin with is now haunting them and their children in this country. Sí, o sea, ya entonces no estamos ni seguros ni aquí ni allá. So you have American kids born in Mississippi. Tus hijos son americanos nacidos en Mississippi. Sí. La grande nació en Norte Carolina y las otras dos nacieron acá. And when you say that, when you actually say, I'm a mother of three kids born in the United States in the American South, what do you think about that? La verdad, una parte, oh, me siento muy, pero muy feliz. ¿Por qué? Porque yo sé que lo que yo su Yo sufrí. No lo están pasando mis hijas. Elena thinks about the fact that her children will not go through the hardships she went through. Tienen un mejor futuro. Es donde yo me siento muy, muy feliz. And that makes her happy. She's confident her children have a better future ahead of them. Y ahorita estoy tratando la, um, la manera de buscar algo en, en construcción. After the raids, poultry plants were extra careful not to hire undocumented workers. So Elena had to look elsewhere. She was planning to look for work in construction. I love your optimism and your hope and your smile. Me fascina tu optimismo y tu esperanza y tu sonrisa. Me encanta. Gracias. Sí, sí, yo no pierdo la esperanza. He pasado mil cosas. Yo pienso que hay algo que me va a salir. Me va a salir trabajo. ¿De qué va a salir? Pero es cuestión de que yo tengo que preguntar y buscarlo. Y ir a trabajarlo. She's gone through a thousand things in her life, she says. She'll make it through this. And that's what many of those arrested on August 7th, 2019 feel. They will come together as a strong community to make it through this. And we got to witness how they're pulling together one Sunday afternoon. El Señor esté con cada uno de ustedes. Y con tu espíritu. Nos bendiga el Dios que es misericordioso, el Padre, el Hijo, el Espíritu Santo. This is St. Michael's Catholic Church in Forest, Mississippi. 
When we arrive, the place is packed. It's full of families, so many little kids everywhere. And most of the people here are from Guatemala. There's a traditional band from Guatemala playing in the church. And after the mass, we hang out outside the church. We're waiting for Father Mena to sit down with us. And as we wait around, Maria starts to talk to a little girl wearing one of those traditional Guatemalan dresses most of the women here are wearing. Just describe for me what you're wearing. It's a, it's a, it's a dress from Guatemala. Do you know anything about it? It's a special occasion. And like my mom, like a lot of people are wearing it. I'm going to describe it. It's blue with hummingbirds, I think, around her neck, then white lace, and then the colors are green and yellow. And then Father Mena walks us into a one-story building next to the church. He has a small office at the end of a narrow, dark hallway. So how many how many masses did you give today? Uh, I give it every Sunday, four different masses, one in English, two in Spanish, and one in Vietnamese. Father Mena is originally from Guatemala. He has been the leader of this parish for two years, and he's been in the U.S. for two decades. So what do you want us to know about this congregation? It's a multilingual community, and I will say that uh, after the race, I will say we are not the same because the majority of this community is Hispanic, and we had more than 200 families that were affected by the raids. President Trump had announced on a Friday in mid-July 2019 that ICE could be conducting major detention operations across the nation that weekend. So that Sunday, I had half of the people coming to the church because they were in fear that they think that that weekend something might happen. But they didn't know that that was going to happen in their own work in their own job. After the raids, Father Mena's church became a hub for people looking for help. All the people came here asking for food, and some of them, they didn't have money for the rent because a lot of them, uh, they were not hired anymore. Some of them had the ankle monitors, so they could not work. So, you know, I've never been here before. It's, uh, I guess we came for the end of the one o'clock mass. And I got here maybe halfway through the mass. And there was an overflowing crowd of people in your tiny church. So for me, this feels like, you know, there's no parking space. People are double parked. There's no way to get in and out. I mean, this feels like a very vibrant community. But you're telling me that it's since August to now, it's not the same. The thing is... uh we have more active members now after the raids. But the problem is we still have people detained and we still have the the children and the youth affected emotionally and psychologically. And the thing is, the raids didn't happen on a normal day. It was the first day of school in the towns surrounding the chicken processing plants. So it was a very difficult experience for a lot of them because... Imagine that after school, they got the news that their parents were in jail. Some kids were not picked up by their parents that day. The community had to scramble to take care of each other. Post-traumatic stress is what they're they are experiencing. It's, we have 
been listening testimony that some of them, they don't have the same kind of grades at school. A lot of depression, anxiety in the kids and also in the youth. After the raid, more than 300 people ended up spending time inside immigration centers. Some were there for months. Some are still in custody. Others were deported. A lot of them, they have a lot of hurt in their hearts. They don't tell what is happening and they have fear, so they don't talk. They don't want to be deported. Maybe they want to go back to their countries, but because of the children that they are American, they don't want to go back. Father Mena told us that some members in his community had gone through traumatic experiences before. Guatemala went through a war in the 80s. Then, gang violence, economic crisis. That's what these workers are trying to escape from. For them, they came because uh, they didn't have work over there. And after the war over there, I have listened testimony that they say, we have been experiencing here worse things than in Guatemala. Because we came flying from violence, and now we are experiencing violence in the United States. But that doesn't mean these families are planning to go anywhere. On our last morning in Mississippi, we visited Lorena, the community organizer who's been connecting us to the workers in the area. Lorena lives in Jackson in a house she's slowly renovating. She lives here with her three Afro-Latina daughters who she homeschools. Well, one of the gentlemen I work with, he said, "Um, I'm worthless now. Lorena knows this community like few other people in the area. And she saw what the raids did to them. This was immediately after a beautiful quinceañera for his daughter. Um, the community helped out and they got her a used dress and it was beautiful. And I talked to him to congratulate him and said, what a beautiful, you know, dance. And he was wearing a grillete. That's one of those ankle shackles we've mentioned before. He said, I'm worthless. And I was like, how could you say that? Look at your, your door. She's like, he's like, I can't provide for them. But this is not what things will look like in the future, Lorena says. What people are seeing now are people that are just destroyed and broken. But that's not what they are. You know, they're survivors. Those communities in Forest and in Morton, you know, where they've seen a, a doubling of students, because kids are still going to school, they're still graduating. They're still going to quinceañeras. They're still having baptisms. They're still going to church on Sundays. Packed. And they're they're grateful that they're in this country. And they don't want to leave. And and they want to stay in Mississippi, by the way. They, They love Mississippi. They love Mississippi. Many of the immigrants we met in Mississippi came here as adults. They built a life from scratch, and that brings a certain feeling with it. The fear that everything might disappear one day, and they will have nothing to show for all their efforts. In a way, it's the story of every immigrant. For these communities, though, the threat is very real. 
but they'll continue to live with it, raise their children, change the face of this country. After all, they are in Mississippi to stay. My thanks to Miguel Macias for producing that story. And a lot has happened since Miguel and I traveled to Mississippi back in February. COVID hit. Plants faced worker shortages. And once again, they turned to the Latino community in the area to fill those jobs. We followed up with Yesenia, who is now back working at a chicken processing plant. Elena could not find a job in construction as she wanted to, so she had to give up her small house after seven years of living there. She's now living in a single bedroom with her three children. None of them have any plans of leaving the state of Mississippi. Next week, we continue our reporting on meat processing plants in the United States, this time with a focus on the deep impact the COVID-19 crisis has had in the health of essential workers who staff these plants. The pandemic has spurred an unprecedented protest movement led by the kids of meat packers. It's the children of Smithfield, next week on Latino USA. This episode was co-reported by me and Miguel Macias, who produced it, with help from Julia Rocha. It was edited by Luis Treyes and Sofia Palizacá. The Latino USA team includes Janice Yamoka, Julieta Martinelli, Ginny Montalvo, Alisa Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Raúl Pérez. Fact-checking by Amy Tardif. A very special thank you to Lorena Quiroz-Lewis, director and founder of the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity, and a community organizer for Working Together Mississippi. Also, thanks to the folks at Mississippi Today and to their investigative reporter, Anna Wolf. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, and Leah Shaw. Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelhotz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our interns are Sofia Sanchez and Marie Mendoza. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Stay safe. Hasta la próxima. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by W.K. Kellogg Foundation, a partner with communities where children come first. and. The Heising Simons Foundation, unlocking knowledge, opportunity, and possibilities. More at hsfoundation.org. Funding for Latino USA's coverage of a culture of health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. You know what I can't imagine? All the chicken they sell here. Crispy chicken, chicken yeah. tender, popcorn chicken, chicken, grilled chicken. I'm like, I don't know if I want to eat any chicken. Okay, what are you going to order, Miguel?